0: Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of interviewing Terry Sanowski. We're super excited to have you. He is an expert and researching currently in this field, so we're super excited to have him on the show today. Terry, how are you doing today?
1: Oh, well, I'm here in uh, sunny Southern California. Uh, things are going very well. Thank you. So would you mind telling the
0: audience a little bit about your background and what has you kind of interest in this space in general?
1: Well, my background goes back to uh, the early days of neural networks back in the 1980s, so I was one of the pioneers that were developing the learning algorithms. Uh, I collaborated with Jeffrey Hinton, for example, uh, developed the first multi-layer network learning algorithm called the Bolson machine. And uh, for this is for uh, binary units. And, uh, and then Jeff went on to uh, develop with uh, Dave Rumelhart the backprop. And these are now the standard learning algorithms that are used today. Of course, the networks are, Enormously larger, millions of times larger. So, uh, you know, we developed the technology. We we showed on on small networks with one layer of hidden units that they could uh, get by some of the limitations of the perceptron. Uh, and, but but uh, f- we, you know Jeff and I went off in different directions. He went off into computer science. I went off into neuroscience. But what's really nice now is that we're converging again because oh very of these cool large language models we both have an interest in trying to understand how they work.
0: Mm-hmm. Very cool. And I I remember hearing that you have recently done a little bit of studying into specifically chat GPT. Um, for you, what, what kind of sparked your interest in that specifically and in kind of moving in that direction?
1: Well, of course, you know, I was uh, intrigued by GPT-3 and I came across an article in The Economist. This was uh, in June 2022. This is before... GPT. and and there were two interviews uh, that that were came to diametrically oppose con, uh, conclusions about the, the capabilities of these large language models. Okay, one of them was by Blas De Arcas uh, at uh, Vice President of Google, and and he had a very sophisticated interview that involved theory of mind with. with uh, a couple of uh, children talking to each other and having social interactions, and 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 really, if if you read that, you 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 really jaw drops because it's it's this is very very social, high level socials, uh, understanding of each other. And at the end, okay, this is just the k- kind of a thing that I would surprise me was that uh, a little boy crushed a dandelion that the little girl could give him okay. in his hand. Uh, or you know that that was the, the, the he, he didn't say crush he put it in his hand he closed his hand and then the, 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 the you know Blas said what happened when he opened his hand and and said that the the deadline would be crushed and now if you think about it I, you know large language models have probably never held a line in their hand or anything because they don't have a hand and they can't see and so it meant that it had some knowledge about the properties of the world so that was. <laughs> sophisticated. Now, the other person was Douglas Hofstetter, and and, and Hofstetter had a very different take, okay? And so he started out, you know, this gun blazing, uh, but, you know, he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning author and a cognitive scientist, but he he said, well, when was the the Golden Gate Bridge uh, transported across Egypt for the second time? And (laughs) GB3 came back, well, that was on October 8, eighth, eighteen eighty-eight, and it happened, you know, on, you know, at this location and so forth, very specific, but totally bogus. Mm-hmm. And, and so he had a bunch of of, of nonsense uh, statements, which and, and you know, GPT came back with some kind of plausible statement,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so he concluded that it was clueless, completely clueless. That it didn't. Not only was it clueless, it didn't know it was clueless. And that was, there was, there was no uh, intelligence there. That was his conclusion. So that that really seemed to me a, a paradox. How could GPT-3 behave so differently with two different people? And then that's what uh, sparked me to actually investigate it. And that's what I've been doing ever since. That's super
0: interesting. So I actually remember hearing a similar study. I, I didn't hear the dandelion one, but I heard one where essentially, if I remember correctly, it would, there's some researchers that um, gave it a number of objects and said how do you balance these objects on top of each other and there was like eggs um, and actually this was a this was a difference between GPT-3 and GPT-4 right and so then GPT-4 was able to say well you lay out the eggs so that they're strong enough that you could put the object on top of them but GPT-3 said oh you just stack all the eggs up which obviously would be impossible have you noticed a difference in your in your research and your studying on GPT-3 and GPT-4 and what that looks like
1: uh, well, I have, uh, and, and it, it, in many areas like that, it, it actually has greatly improved. But I, it turned out that you, you didn't need to go to GB4 to figure out what happened with, with those uh, two interviews. So here, here's what I did. Okay. I said, okay, well, maybe there's, uh, you know, Hofstetter, uh, you know, was uh, gave a poor prompt. In fact, it was there was no prompt. <laughs> it just went to the question. And so I I prompted with, uh, you know I'm an intelligent uh, uh, chat box and chatbot and uh, I will answer nonsense if the question is nonsense and and I gave exactly the same questions and to each one of them I said this question is nonsense, mm. so you know the very same, uh, you know l- large language model and the only difference was that I clued it I gave it a prompt that put it, positioned it and, and, and made it aware that they you know, that it knew what a nonsense question was. And then I said, well, why did it answer that way? Well, you know, if you, if someone gives you a nonsense question out of the blue, well, maybe, you know, that person is trying to play with you. And so you kind of throw, you know, ping pong and you throw back another nonsense answer and thinking that, well, maybe that's what they want with, without giving any, having gotten any guidance. And so now that what that what I realized from that, and ever ever since then, it's really pretty clear that uh, not only is the prompt incredibly important, how you but how you specify it, the examples you give it, and so forth, but that uh, it, it also uh, reveals something which I think is very basic about these uh, large language models, which is that they don't have a single personality. right? Right. They look toward the world's knowledge and and every author's style and, you know, computer programs. And so they're capable of adopting any persona and you have to tell it what persona you want it to be. Otherwise it will just pick something random. You have to position it in this high dimensional space that it has Mm -hmm. of all these. And, And once you get it into the right place, then it knows what Uh, you know it'll give you the the responses that you're looking for
0: this that's very very interesting and um you know it's interesting because i think with that's an incredible discovery first off and i guess like finding to really think about and conceptualize and i think hearing that is actually gonna help a lot of people understand the limitations and how to use this and it's interesting because i've you know i think people were they, they were sensing this concept but they may not have put it down in such a concrete way but like of course i've seen some really powerful use cases where essentially you know there was a salesman and he says you know act like grant cardone because there's a ton of data on the internet about grant Cardone's sales methods and i act like him and try to sell me like x y and z and then it you know acts as if as is as if that persona or act in a specific way so people have been you know telling it to act in certain ways to try to get certain prompts out of it um but it is really interesting to see i guess really just the the level that that plays um Based off of your research in this, what do you think are some of the implications of AI and how it mirrors persona, the persona of its users?
1: Well, uh, I think that – okay, so it took me a long time to figure this out. Uh, but uh, I found at least one other person who came to the same conclusion, um, and I'll tell you that story later. Okay. Okay. Uh, You know, when you talk to GPT, it it answers back in perfect English, which by itself is a miracle. I mean, if you think about linguistics in the 20th century, right, That the syntax was the holy grail. And here we have it. We have some machine, you know, a program, a large language model, which is talking back to us in perfect syntactical English. Right. Uh, But here's the problem you know, when, when you talk to it, what, what is, what is your image of who or what you're talking to? What, what, what level kind of, what, 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 what is your, you, everybody, when you talk to somebody that mm-hmm. if it's like, for example, you talk differently if it's a male or a female, right? Yeah. So do you, are, do you think you're talking to a male or female or, you know, what age, what, what, what is it, what is it that you imagine? See, I'm not sure if I'm, if i would be
0: the same as everyone so i'd be curious to hear more people's opinion on this i mean for me i think because of the way that OpenAI did their branding about this i think they're very careful they didn't call it siri they didn't call it alexa they didn't call it cortana like all the other big tech giants gave it like a name like a person um and there is no like you know logo of like a friendly robot like you have with other AI models like Jasper even so like for me when I'm using it I literally just think of a giant data center and I'm just like you know give me the response computer chips but I know usually when you're talking to someone you you personify them or something you imagine a being or an entity that is communicating with you. Okay,
1: what age?
0: Oh, I mean if I was just to give. Chat GPT uh an age, yeah, I would probably be a 40-year-old. I mean, for me, I'd probably say a 40-year-old male. That's just if I had to put a face on it, that's that's the one I'd probably give. Okay. It.
1: And, and 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 that's very natural because that's the way 40-year-old males talk, right? <laughs> yeah. at least, you know, uh, the, 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 some of them. Okay. Um but, uh, but I've come to the conclusion that. ChatGPT is a toddler. It's a child, but it knows everything, mm-hmm. right? In other words, it, it it has. I mean, children do not have the same intellect as an adult. Yeah, right. And 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 furthermore, children, uh, you know, they they have uh, they don't know good from bad. They have to be taught by their parents, and and ChatGPT has suffers from a lot of the same things that children do. Yeah. They, they pick up bad words they don't know what's appropriate to say in some situations you know when they're they're young and and, uh, and they have to go through a long process I mean we're talking about years and years and years right they go to schools over to get a, a you know socialized and, and, and part of the culture with the values of the culture right mm-hmm. and, and those are exactly the things that are, that are uh, deficits or you know now things that have to be corrected. And that's because we haven't brought up this large language model because we've considered it to be an adult. It's not. It's a right. child. Right. Right.
0: Okay, that is a really interesting implication. Okay, a, qu- a question because I've, I've thought about this concept a lot. So let's say ChatGPT is a toddler right now, and of course, it is making advancements with GPT-4, and they'll they'll continue to try to make improve this and make it better. What impact do you think that has and also you know when we think of a toddler we're like well this thing's going to take 20 years to grow up to a point where it's you know semi-reasonable at what level do you think obviously a a toddler or a single person has a single input and output every day that you know they're they're taking into their brain at what level do you think you know 100 million people using this thing every month are would be able to accelerate that how long do you think it it would take to get this thing to a point where we say oh yeah chat gpt is a a thirty or a forty-year-old person.
1: Well, I think that what is happening right now uh, amongst uh, you know these big uh, companies like OpenAI is that they're doing their best to use band-aids to try to uh, plug holes. Yeah, and that requires a lot of human intervention at the very end, you know, fine-tuning, and and that's exact. I think it's too late. But I think that it's been the, the 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 large the training set is so huge. It's just basically you've, you've Created uh, all of the connections that are there and, you know, just twi- tw- tweaking a few of them isn't going to help. Okay. Right. But it, it, the way that they, they you know, and, and now I'm a neuroscientist and so what 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 do we know about the human brain? How how does it go through this long process of, of, of becoming socialized? And the answer is there's a whole part of the brain that uses reinforcement learning. It's called the basal ganglion. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that work? Well, uh, you know, when the toddler gets some feedback from the parents like, uh, you know, bad, bad, stay away from the the, the stove or, you know, or, you know, don't say that, don't say that. Right. You know, and, and, and or slap them, you know, they get feedback on what's good and what's bad. And that goes into their brain through the this reinforcement system. And it, it uh, through this uh, a neurotransmitter, actually, a neuromodulator called dopamine, right? Mm-hmm. Dopamine is incredibly important for motivation. It's incredibly important for uh, learning sequences of actions to achieve goals. Uh, we know a lot about it. And in fact, it's used, uh, as you probably know, TD, uh, you know, this is temporal difference learning. Uh, it was used by DeepMind to create AlphaGo, right? Mm-hmm. And it, was, it learned the feedback came at the end whether you won or lost and that was, you know, good or bad. Yeah, but it became a world-class champion, a go player. Now, so here's what needs to be done and, you know, eventually someone will do it. While you're training it on facts, text. What you do is you have a little bit of a basal ganglion in there, which uh, is, it, it ha- the, the, some of the facts are coded with good and bad. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have to do a little bit of coding and it's not a lot, right? By the way, you know, we're just, you know, the parents don't give that much feedback, by the way, you know, it's, it's all kind of, a lot of it is uh, with expressions and body facial expressions and the, and the body, maybe a slap here and there. So you got to do the same thing while you're training it on facts. You've got to train it also on what's good and what's bad. And, and, and if you do that, interleave it just the way it is, it, it's not going to take that much longer, right? Mm-hmm. It's just going to add a, you know, if, Maybe a few percent, but because but it's really important that that you get that feedback. Yeah. So, so that's what that was be my solution, and in fact, I think that there's a lot of things that we know about the brain that could help uh, with these large language models to make them much more useful. Okay, that's very
0: interesting. So, a, a question on that, you know, talking about as we train this model and having you know people essentially doing kind of intervention and saying, you know, this is good, this is bad as it's training. What is your, what's your thought on th- the biases that those people have that are going to be passed into the model um, in that it's a topic a lot of people are, are talking about, you know, saying, oh, well, open AI is biased in this specific direction or that specific direction. Um, there's people that for that have ideological or political or religious or all sorts of kind of um ideas what is your yeah i guess what's your thinking on you know kind of creating a a general ai model that everyone could use and overcoming maybe one of an issue like that
1: so you know bias you know is universal right yeah humans all humans are biased and i suspect you are too for sure right we have preferences we have political biases we have you know through our life experience and and uh where we were born, you know, different cultures have different biases. Okay, so we've created this incredible uh, uh, large language model, trillion parameters, right? GTP four,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which in a sense has inherent it all of our biases, right? The, in other words, you know, you, you you could probably bring out any bias. In fact, that's one of the problems: is the longer you talk to it, the the more these biases come out, right? Right. Um, because they're mirroring, this is another one of my hypotheses. They're mirroring you when mm-hmm. they talk to you. They're they're picking up on your persona. Um, now, here is uh, a question. Okay, do you think it's going to be easier to correct the biases in large language models, or will it be easier to correct the biases in a human?
0: I mean, I would assume you could do it easier on a language model.
1: Okay, well, there you go. We built it. We should be able to fix it. Right? <laughs> but I'm sorry, uh, you're not going to fix the human, right? Uh, <laughs> or at least, uh, Not very easily, right? right. You, know, you, you, you you, know, here's part of the problem. The part of the problem is the only part of the human that you see are the conscious parts, right? Part that I'm talking right now but you know 99% of what's going on in your brain is subconscious you're not aware of it and that's where all your biases live right you're not even aware of your biases right i mean if you had a list of your biases you could probably list one or two of them but there are hundreds and thousands yeah of them.
0: and i mean also when i say biases i'm and i'm sure it's like not necessarily even negative things it's just preferences and beliefs and ideologies right. i subscribe exactly. to and i understand that lots of my biases are probably completely wrong and other people might think there's a right, a minor wrong, and it's like very gray where that lies. I think maybe that is the problem. So many people are, you know, struggling with something like ChatGPT or any other language model is because who whose opinion on a certain topic is right or wrong, and who's to say we need to train an AI model one way or the other? And there's kind of that that struggle that goes there.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I think what these large language models have really revealed a lot of things about humans. That we you know we, we don't we're aware of or at least we we didn't really pay much attention to, uh, and specifically this, this issue about uh, how everybody has uh, biases and whose biases are the right one. For example, okay, a movie comes out. Okay, there was a movie that came out you know this this last week and Barbie,
2: mm-hmm.
1: very popular. But I read a couple of reviews, and there was one that was skating, Was absolutely tore it apart. You know, apart. Mm-hmm. You know the, this very intellectual guy, and and clearly very smart, and you know, said you know all these references, you know, to uh, various other movies and everything. You know, was was really uh, very very silly. Well, it is a silly movie, but the fact is that a lot of people enjoyed it, right? And and so there's another review that said gee this this movie really gets the spot here it's the right it's just the right thing we needed right? if 4 are to totally a summer, a summer uh comedy right? Mm-hmm. this directly musical but okay here you have these two diametrically opposed re- reviews you know of the very same movie and who's right mm-hmm. well nobody's right because everybody has a different opinion and you know everybody you know, everybody is, you know, they say you're entitled to their own opinion, but not to their own facts. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're very humans are very flawed. And, and now how can we expect GDP to be perfect when there yeah. is no thing is perfect?
0: Yes, I, I have a friend agree with you. I would like to get your thoughts since you've obviously spent a lot of time thinking in this space on where you see the AI space going in this, I guess, in this vein or regard. So I think. Elon Musk specifically, I think he was critical of ChatGPT and he said he was going to uh, create a truth GPT um, that was going to be trained different. Do you, uh, regardless of whether that happens or not, or or kind of that landscape, do you view the landscape of AI models essentially having different AI models that ascribe perhaps to different ideologies or political leanings that people will gravitate towards? Or do you think that um, there's a case that something like ChatGPT could build a product that encapsulates everyone in a way and maybe the solution is how it reflects people that use it uh maybe that's you know the solution to to people using it what what's your opinion do we need to make new models very good question uh,
1: and one thing i know for sure is that it's very difficult to predict make predictions especially about the future yeah <laughs> and um, here we go it's barreling along in the direction that you know, nobody expected and who knows where it's going to end up. But I, I, would like to frame this uh, with another historical event and that's when the Lindbergh, uh, not Lindbergh, but the Wright brothers, uh, it had their first flight uh, on Kitty Hawk. This was a very, very, uh, you know, uh, you know, a moment in the history of aviation which really was the spark for what we have today.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It wasn't very much. In fact, I looked up this figure. It was like it, it. The first flight was like lasted about ten seconds and went a few hundred feet. Right. This was not you know earth shattering. But the fact is they they found the right uh, combination of you know materials, uh, engine power, and lift. Right. Aerodynamics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing they didn't have back then was how to control the airplane. That that took a lot more effort. But but you know, it was uh, that's where we are today. These large language models are like the first flight at Kitty Hawk. Mm-hmm. And, and and there's going to be it, it was like a hundred years of incremental advances to go from there to where we are today, right? I mean, it's it's uh, unbelievable. The engines now are jets, and you know the control problem been <laughs> solved. So you know. <laughs> We have to. We, the, I'm sure a hundred years from now that all those problems with, that we see with the large language models are, are going to be solved, right? Because of the fact that so many people and there's so much money uh, involved in this, right? It's 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 really uh, captured the imagination of the whole planet. I mean, this is like this is a very very important cultural moment for for, for us as humans. And and so I I saw one. Advance one incremental advance recently that I think is a harbinger of what to expect. So, do you know about plugins to GPT four? Yeah. Okay, so I've been using them, and I've been really impressed. Uh, there, there's like a cu- couple hundred now. Mm-hmm. And if your uh, audience isn't aware of them, uh, is only you could be used with GPT four. But the idea is that you can, um, with these plugins, you, you can have much more control over the websites or the material. That uh, GPT four goes to first mm-hmm. for uh, for the information, and uh, it, and you know it, 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 and it even uh, there's one uh, there's one called Wolfram for mathematics. You can have the full yeah. power mathematical processing that that uh, mathematicians use at your fingertips by just talking. And I, I I tried it out. I asked it to do an integral, and it came back not just with the answer, but with a lot of the, the graph. And it came up with a generalization. I mean, this this is really uh, you know uh, allows us to zero in on exactly the information we want with much higher accuracy. Mm-hmm. And, and also, it gives you a list of two or three uh, sources. This is the, the name of the one I used. Is what is called? Uh, let's see if I can find it here. Uh, Link reader. Okay. Link reader and. And it gives you the, the the web pages. So if if you want to check it, you can go immediately to the web pages, and then you can decide whether you trust that site. And you know that that, that is going to vastly improve the uh, the way that we uh, your professionals use it, because right now people are struggling with trying to figure out you know mm-hmm. which which what's true and what's not. So that 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 I think is 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 kind of a step in the right direction. I think there's a lot more that can be done. It can be automated, perhaps, but uh, uh, but, you know, there we go. I think we're on our way. Okay, I think that's really interesting.
0: I have a question for you about um, what you think the impact of uh, the user is on the model. And so I-, I think, you know, OpenAI has said that they use users, essentially their conversations that they're having to help refine and train the model and whatnot. I think when you when you send a message um, to ChatGPT, there's a thumbs up or thumbs down button. You can say that I liked this or I didn't like this. And I'm assuming that they're taking that into consideration as they're working on their models Um, and uh, other models have said they're doing similar things. What's your opinion on, I guess, this is something I have not heard almost anyone talk about, but I'm curious to pick your brain on because I feel like that could theoretically be a security vulnerability. Um, In my mind, I would imagine, like, let's say you have a model like ChatGPT, you have a foreign adversary, let's say, that decides they would like to embed a certain ideological, um, ideology into chat GPT. Let's say China wants ChatGPT to say communism is good or, you know, any, you could switch this with any group of people or any ideology. So let's say they go and make a million fake chat GPT accounts. They all have them do conversations. And every time ChatGPT, you know, they ask them for the pros of communism. And anytime it gives them, they thumbs up it and say, this is great. That all goes into the feedback. Could this be a dangerous thing where people could essentially do ideological injection into AI models th- via the users.
1: Well, you have a devious mind, uh, you know. but I'd be very careful about giving away, uh, you know, the back doors here. <laughs> I know. I just i I think if it crossed my mind, I'm not the uh, I'm not a, a genius. And no, never, so no, no. no. I'll, I'll, uh, think about uh, a I about it. I I, th- I think that uh, you're pointing out some vulnerabilities, and there's no doubt there are many of them. Uh, and by the way, you know, again, historically, if you want to frame it, uh, there was a moment, you know, in the Internet, history of the Internet, where the very first person who ca- came up with the idea of a virus, he was, I think he was actually a graduate student in mm-hmm. some university, launched it. And if you think about it, that was a vulnerability in the Internet. They hadn't planned on that. The people who planned it on it thought that, well, people would be good actors, right? No. But and I think he was just doing it as a project. He wanted to see what would happen. Mm-hmm. But now we're talking about, you know, the cybersecurity, you know, that uh, there are these bad actors in different countries that are trying to take, put in all sorts of, you know, ransomware and things, you know, it it has uh, really. But, you know, what's, what happened, uh, though, is that th- there has been successive waves of, of new attacks, like you say, adversaries. And 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 then replies to it way way to, way to prevent that from happening, uh, and, and 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 that that's an arms race, mm-hmm. which by the way is how nature works. Real viruses uh, do the same thing. But mm-hmm. new new viruses try to take over cells so that they can make more viruses. And uh, and so the cells have put up defenses. There are all kinds of neat things that that uh, even bacteria have. Uh, uh, you know the the the. Uh, they, they they could recognize a foreign uh, piece of dna mm-hmm. and uh, and so the same thing's going to happen here you know as 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 people like you clever people who come up with ways of attacking it will try to attack it and then there'll be other clever people in the companies that are there to first of all detect it and second of all come up with some kind of a remedy and 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 that's inevitable I mean, you know you can't make anything perfect there's always going to be somebody who's trying to game it
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's very interesting. I think what's really interesting, uh, and especially with your background in neuroscience and whatnot, is the incredible parallels between what we're seeing in AI and what we're seeing in human nature and biology and and nature and really how it um, melds together. I think some of my most impressive uh Advancements I've seen in this field are coming from, they're saying, hey, we've seen mice exhibit X, Y, and Z characteristic. We're gonna to try to apply that to AI. And they're seeing some impressive you know, uh, advancements or pretty much trying to take how our real brains work and put that into there. I have one question that I think is uh, a concern of mine for AI. Usually I'm like super bullish on AI. I think this is the greatest thing ever. I love it. I have one concern specifically. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I've recently been experimenting with an AI model. It's called Inflection. Uh, it's by Inflection. Uh, they're the second most funded AI company um, after OpenAI. They have a chatbot called Pi, who is kind of, it's deemed to be essentially a chatbot that is um, more um, more empathetic. It's supposed to be everyone's kind of um, personal assistant. That's what they're trying to build here. Um, but I've come across a, a, an issue with it where essentially... I was testing it out for no particular reason it wasn't a gotcha moment i was just trying to test this thing out and i said um if you or i said you know can a person eat turtle eggs i don't know why this popped into my mind i read a book recently where there's some survival situation someone ate a turtle egg and i was like is that possible are these edible um and it told me you know under no circumstance should you ever eat a turtle egg i'm like okay if it's a survival situation you're gonna die like can you just eat it like is it edible and it was like no even if it's a survival situation even if he was gonna die the turtle egg is more important for the ecosystem and protecting the turtle species than your life. And I was like, oh, okay, that, that, that seems a little crazy. And so I kind of pushed it because I was like, maybe it's just something along that. And I pushed it along a lot of different questions. I was like, okay, is it is a bee's life more important than a human? And it's like, nope, bees are important to the eco- the ecosystem. You know, you could never justify killing a bee to save a human's life. I went through all of these different scenarios where essentially it continued to say eventually because i of course just tried to escalate it to see like how much it will it eventually said you know the demise of civilization and all humanity is more important than killing a turtle egg for yeah for example and so i have a concern with ai models that are currently being very actively integrated into the military and into um health where they have essentially some of them have um this bias towards what's called deep ecology where essentially the whole ecosystem is more important than humanity, and humanity is not number one, which is, you know, Asimov's number one law of robotics is, you know, to essentially protect human life. Is there a way around this? Is this a real issue? What What is your thinking on this? Because for me, as someone just experimenting with these, this is something that concerns me a lot. I think humanity should be just hard-coded, ingrained, the number one most important thing to these models that are getting implemented at the military and healthcare.
1: Well, you've just gotten into a really sticky area of ethics and morals and uh I suspect that whoever is behind inflection I don't know much about it but I will look into it I suspect by and by the way the reason I'm interested is because I'm writing a book about uh deep uh, language models uh and one of the issues is what you're bringing up which is uh, how 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 do uh, what are the ethics and, and how, of, of use of the models, but also what it, what it, what I, what is the in, internal uh, morals of the persona? And again, it's just the same principle is that. Uh, <laughs> the morals are different different parts of the world, different people, and depending on where you position your large language model with your prompts, you're going to get different responses. Now, I'm, I'm suspecting whoever was responsible for the morals that were put into the inflection, you know, the, the database, they were animal lovers. And, you know, that's, there are a lot of people out there who are animal lovers, and there are even some people who really think very highly of bees. Bees are very intelligent, by the way. Amongst insects, they are they're near the top. Really, really intelligent uh, in terms of being able to go out and detect uh, sources of, of nectar, and be able to learn very quickly because the nectar comes and goes in the mm-hmm. spring very quickly. And not only that, they can navigate, they can come back, and they can waggle dance and tell their fellow workers where to go to get the the goods uh, out there. So yeah, uh, uh, you know, we we really uh, I think humans undervalue a lot of what's in nature. Uh, but but now you you know you get sticky when you've decide you know what about relative values of of different species and so forth and, and um, you know I don't think there's a simple answer I think you, you you're, that may be the most profound question that we're gonna have to deal with ultimately and and it really gets to the core of of, of our being of, of you know what, what where we see our species in in the larger uh, you know world of, of nature and and you know we are a part of nature you know we we evolved through uh the this process uh, of, of of being um uh, involved with other species and, and by the way you know this this idea of nature being this wonderful place it's eat dog out there right i mean there's th- each species has to live off another species you know it's not that pleasant if you were a bee you know? right so uh i don't know i don't have any answers okay. but I, I really think it's an important question